Welcome back to Moments That Define Us podcast, part two of Sarah's Defining Moments. Last time we kind of went into her backstory of what makes Sarah, Sarah. And in this episode, we're going to talk more about her experience as an EMT student. It's going to be a bit more on the lighter side and it's a really fun episode. So let's jump in. you ladies have been friends for how long seven years baby oh my god isn't it like once you get the seven year mark like you're destined to be friends for life i think we were destined to be friends for life since the day i met you i love her so much i did not me and sarah it's not that we didn't get along at first i always knew we were soulmates um can i share the story of like the second night I met you yes okay so college is fun and you know we party we drink so she had a room upstairs and we were partying is that is that like in the dorm this is yes sorry this is in the dorms so Sarah and we were all partying I don't know where I was but Sarah got um you know you drink you get tired and so Marie put Sarah to bed in my bed and this was like the <laughs> second night I knew her and I come back and I see this woman in my bed and you know in college like you don't have very many things to yourself because you live in a dorm right and I was just you know I'm just grumpy and I think it's probably my period and I was so pissed I threw my phone I broke my phone and I scratched I think I, your like, laptop uh, yeah I think I like pulled her out of my bed and told <laughs> her to go upstairs now we're best friends that was the softest bed i've ever fell asleep in by the way shout out to whatever brand of mattress pad bella uses because that was the best two-hour nap i've taken in my entire life and she also had to drag me down the hallway you forgot about that and it was so inspired for people who are listening is a tall amazon woman almost six feet tall yeah it was actually but she's very skinny so three of you to (laughs) drag my ass down the hall okay so you're meeting her and then she falls asleep in your bed you drag her through the hallway to her room where did the defining moment of like okay i actually like you we're gonna be friends defining moment of us becoming friends so I don't really remember. I feel like it always, it just like, it just happened. It just clicked. Sarah's, as you can tell, is an amazing talker. And she went to school for social work. So she was just so incredibly intelligent and just so into like, you know, making the world a better place. And I felt like I'd never really talked to somebody that was that passionate. So we would get on these like topics and she just like was absolutely brilliant. So I feel like we had a few of those. Yeah. I think it was a combination of deep conversations. The fact that she kind of reminded me of Amy Winehouse, who's my favorite singer. I love it. (laughs) uh, Just this, the second I laid eyes on Bella, I was like, that person's going to be in my life forever. I knew it before she even opened her mouth. And so I was going to do anything to make it happen, including apologizing profusely for falling asleep in your bed. And... Then we just proceeded to trauma bond over the next two years and then formed a real true deep friendship out of crawling out of a pit that was CSU. It's so important to have amazing women in your life and also 
for anybody who don't believe in soulmates. They do exist. And it doesn't have to be with your romantic partner because this is an example of soulmates. And it's important to have people that support you through your lowest moment and your highest moment because you can tell, especially when we are in our lowest moment, who is really there for us and who is like, oh, I got some shit, I don't want to deal with that. You know, I either want to party with you or or if you're not into that, I'm not into you anymore. So I'm glad that you found each other. Okay, so you met at CSU, Sarah. So you studied social work, right? Yeah, I studied social work. Why, why did you decide to go into that field? I think there was some sick irony of having PTSD being told that you have PTSD, yelling at the therapist, or I guess it was the psychiatrist actually at CSU, that I don't have fucking PTSD. Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> get out. It's her office. She can't get out. I have to get out. <laughs> uh, also, at the same time, wanting to work with other people who have deeply troubled lives while refusing to accept that your life is actually the problem. And I think I wanted to save everyone else because I couldn't figure out how to save myself. I'm no longer in the field of social work, but it did help me save myself. And getting out of it actually helped me save myself a little bit further. I'm not meant to carry that much pain around all day, every day. But it's this beautiful, beautiful, tough, creative insane field of study where you just are exposing yourself your classmates your friends your loved ones and like random strangers that you're assigned to to like counseling techniques and therapy and tools that can help them process whatever it is they need to go through or access whatever it is that they need to be the best version of themselves. And I needed that. I think I needed a social worker. It was a social worker that made me want to go into social work because she was trying to help me. And I needed to learn how to become my own soulmate. I needed to learn how to find these resources for myself. And I needed to be around other people who've been just as hurt as I have. And I think there's a lot of us in social work. Also, it helps that it's 95% women at CSU in that program. So it's kind of like a sorority. Yeah. And it was like a really cool program. I like what you said. It's it's very almost like poetic when you said, I got into that to help other people, but in return, I help myself. I truly believe that my major saved me. It's not anything I want to do for the rest of my life. But there is a way of like reaching out to those who nobody else in society wants to touch. And I've definitely been that person. And just like using empathy and compassion at the forefront of everything you do with that person. And it's awesome i think everybody should study it a little bit i think it's so cool because you learn how to help yourself you know because sometimes i think a professional is always necessary but it's nice to have the skills you need under your belt yeah or even like the resources like knowing what therapist to reach out to psychiatrist etc yeah because you studied 
Um, so I know, are you an EMT? And I know this is like social work has been really beneficial to this because you understand people in these severe situations now. Mm-hmm. Is that, do you agree with that? Me being an EMT is more like me being a crisis counselor with a needle and some bandages. <laughs> uh, surprise, surprise, most people who need an EMT are actually addicted to substances. Ironically, I studied addiction counseling in college too. Um, (laughs) So I think I've used a lot of my skills and I'm better at my job in the sense that I'm better at working with people who are having full-blown behavioral health issues or have overdone whatever substances that they're doing that night it doesn't necessarily make me better at the medicine part of it but it does help me have empathy for people who are hitting rock bottom and they're in the back of my ambulance which is really weird no it makes sense because you understand how their brains work and you have you're able to have compassion for them yeah it's it's been a trip do you you because you're an EMT now, but I know there's a lot of different like names. What do you eventually want to be, which is really cool, you told me. Um, okay, so the goal is a community paramedic. Um, I want to specialize in rural medicine. There's a dream I'm chasing of working with a specific medical director who's just an ER physician in southern Colorado in the Ute Fire District. And this doctor had this brilliant idea that we should combine paramedicine or pre-hospital medicine with mental health care in a rural place where there are no practitioners. And believe it or not, in 2023, paramedicine and mental health are moving away from each other. We are seeing fewer paramedics be involved with mental health calls because we're just not the resource that people call anymore. And Denver is unique. Denver and Portland are unique because these two cities have started these programs um, that we call the STAR van, and it's a licensed clinical social worker and a paramedic, which is the highest level of pre-hospital care outside of flight nursing and flight medicine um, that you can go, at least within a city, And basically, these clinical social workers and these paramedics are tackling all of the calls that other practitioners and specifically the police are unable to safely handle. So I was really inspired the first time I heard about the star van. I must have been like 18 or 19. And I heard that they're putting social workers on ambulances with some random paramedic and then you go get them boys like you go out there and you fix whatever it is and you bring the people back to the hospital or you help them access resources there or you divert away from the hospital and go to a mental health facility and I thought that was the coolest thing because I wanted to be the licensed clinical social worker on the ambulance uh now I'm more than halfway through school to becoming the paramedic on the ambulance is a bit of a plot twist it's amazing you said something oh my gosh the social worker who goes with the ambulance right when there is when the police call right specifically something you said 
on those cases where police cannot handle all these videos about police shooting people not knowing that they're mentally ill. And I remember there was a mother who was saying, please don't, because like the, her son um, was mentally ill. And she kept telling the police, don't shoot him because he's mentally ill. So I, I, I think that police are not trained with that. They are not trained to help people who are mentally ill, right? So yeah. it makes much more sense to where people like you who are social worker go in like de-escalate those situations. So I have to be careful with how I respond to this because first responders are all interwoven together. I'm from the same tapestry now as firefighters and police officers, and we try to work together as peacefully as possible and then be as friendly as possible. With that said, coming from the perspective of the Black Lives Matter movement and from someone who has had mental health crises and who has helped many of my friends work through much more serious mental health issues, they by they, I mean the police, are not equipped or properly trained to do the job of a mental health counselor or a licensed clinical social worker or a paramedic. In Aurora, we lost Elijah McLean to the same kind of violence that involved two paramedics and a bunch of cops who had no idea how to deal with even a minor mental health issue. And their answer to everything was ketamine and Versed. That's not where I want to see this field go. It's only going to get worse for a while, unfortunately. Yeah. And not to say, you know, of course, first responders, they are important. And of course, not every police officer is bad, right? Right. But yeah, I was specifically referring to the to the Black Lives Matter movement and to what happened to Elijah and to what happened. Um, I can remember because unfortunately there are so many killings of black men and women that it's now you can't keep track of what's happening. But it was the, her son was mentally ill and the police came and, you know, and their response was to shoot, to, to handcuff. And yeah, like you're right, everybody has their job in their field and they're equipped with how to do their job right so it is i think important to bring mental health professionals to situation to de-escalate who know how to deal because where their mental health professional in the elijah case here in denver he would still be alive absolutely and in the case that you're talking about because i think i remember reading about that one specifically he would also be alive if it was for the star van or a system like it being in place it's really unfortunate how stressed and underfunded our services are. And I mean, like, private ambulances get by, and so do municipal or citywide services. But we don't have educated people on ambulances automatically who know how to deal with mental health issues. In EMT school, we covered mental health problems for one day. Huh. In my advanced ENT program, Luckily, my professor was like ex-roommates or ex-friends with one of the guys that did end up murdering Elijah McLean, and oh he spent weeks hammering it into my classmates' heads that we need to be more careful with the substances we're handing out because ketamine isn't something to be fucked around with. 
especially IV ketamine. And sedating people who are having mental health problems is not the answer to everything. But this is a new breed of EMT and a new breed of paramedic. And it's kind of revolutionary to hear that. You're not going to leave Colorado and hear that many other places. Mm -hmm. And I think first responders are mostly conservative, mostly white men who don't have empathy or compassion for people of color or people who are having a behavioral health crisis that's being exacerbated by like they're just the the hardships of daily life yeah and i am really lucky that i have my social work degree and that i've been able to use it to keep people safer from themselves and safer from the police and safer from whatever issue it was but i don't think that there's many of us there's like far too few of us that are trained as mental health practitioners i think so because if there are more like you there would be less cases especially with the mental health yeah killing yeah i'm curious and i feel like most people don't really know what it's like to really be an emt so what's like day-to-day of it like how many hours i mean i just i don't know i'm curious uh-huh. legal hours <laughs> 12 to 15 12 to 15 hours usually i've had 24 hour long shifts very recently oh my and gosh. i don't and i'm not a firefighter so i don't sleep at the station jeez um yeah so your day-to-day you walk in let me restart the day-to-day life of an EMT, you wake up after having not had enough sleep to drink copious amounts of coffee to try to gather your wits about you to head back into an office where you're underpaid and your managers don't care about you. And then you try to restock your ambulance from the night before, I swear, like, 30% of the job is just restocking supplies or hunting down supplies or stealing supplies from hospitals to stock your ambulance with. Right. Um, and checking out your ambulance and making sure that it has enough oil and it has enough transmission fluid and there's air in the tires and all the lights and sirens work and then the radios work and then the phone works and the laptop works and then you check out all the narcotics and you make sure you have enough of those if you're an ALS-equipped ambulance. Um, and then you, for me, I would either go work events or I would go work inter-facility transport, which means you're going from one hospital to another, from ER to ER, or you're taking patients from the hospital back to a different kind of care, like a nursing home or a rehabilitation facility post-surgery rehabilitation facilities don't always refer to addiction facilities it's also the name of the facility that you go to after you've had surgery um and then you get calls from dispatch all day and you run around all day and you get free snacks if the cops haven't stolen them all yet from (laughs) the emt lounges in the hospitals and then you pray by hour 11 for it to be over. And if your dispatcher likes you, you get no more calls for the day. And if your dispatcher doesn't know you or doesn't like you, then you 
run until like hour 14 and then you go back and you wash off your ambulance and you restock your ambulance from all the supplies that you used all day and you go home and cry (laughs) (laughs) seems like seems like a fun gig i actually love it i know you love it and there was a time when you told me a specific story and you're like it was at this time like I knew this is what I was supposed to be doing. I mean, I have a couple defining moments. I'm unique in the the, the first time I did CPR on someone, I Lazarist them. Uh, I got ROSC. What does that mean? It means that their heart started again. Yes, that was incredible. The way you told me how somebody wasn't alive and then you brought them back. Yes, to life. It's really unique, very rare. I don't know if her brain survived that, but uh, she, I literally just started doing CPR and she had been wrapped around a toilet for like six to eight minutes before the firefighters got to her. And it was probably minute 18 before she got to me. And I just started doing CPR and her pulse just started again and nobody else's cpr did it so i thought i was god turns out i'm not god because like the next five times i did cpr everybody died but um it was a really unique moment and i knew exactly that this was where i was meant to be and i live for the blood and the gore of it all i love it i actually do like working 12 to 14 hour shifts four days a week rather than having a normal nine to five I'm quite the night owl, so I like keeping really weird hours. And it's really fun just sticking needles in people. I swear, <laughs> like, there is something about it. Um, I love my job, and I love being an EMT, and the drudgery and the paperwork, like, so many reports. Oh, God. And the maintenance of the ambulance and all of the supplies inside can be a lot, and it It's all worth it when you get to drive lights and sirens or be the first on a really gnarly scene. It's pretty awesome. Are you able to share some like crazy stories that you've experienced? Yeah. So for the company that I worked with in Denver, um, I just left seven days ago. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm looking for more of a work-life balance while I continue on with school. Um, I worked a lot of Red Rock shows and a lot of shows around other uh, stadiums and you would just see people who were so fucked up, so drunk, like unable to be a human and breathe type fucked up. I love working overdoses, so I have a couple of those, but I worked a show for a really famous super famous band that it cannot be named and I think the best part of this was I have been running around all day helping run the EMT tent and just keep it from burning down really and this guy comes up and there's nothing wrong with him and we're like sir we like I was was he from the band oh I wish he was from the band that would be so sick But no, this guy comes up 
and he's older. And if you knew the band, you would know that a lot of these are like barefoot hippies that have been running around since the late 60s and 70s. And he was one of those. And this guy, um, his toe had necrotized and it was literally rotting off and it had giant spores of white fungi, I guess, <laughs> growing out of his toe. And it was the worst smell I've ever smelled. I've smelled so many like crazy, awful things in my life. But he was like, my foot really hurts. And he, I asked him to take his sock and his shoe off, and he's embarrassed, so I try to help him. I take it off, and his toe is literally falling off. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so funny. I, like, couldn't handle it. I, like, died laughing. <laughs> I was like, you really thought we could perform an amputation here in the medic tent outside at a major concert? Wait, so he... <laughs> I don't know. I think he was a little high. He smoked a little bit of the devil's lettuce. And the band was doing great. I, he was he was definitely hyped and tired from dancing all day and having the best time of his life. And we took a Ready picture to get of that toe. He's like, he's like, hey, little, little proceed. Can you amputate my toe so I can go back to dancing? Yeah, it was basically like that. Like he wanted someone to do something about the toe that was coming off on its own honestly quite nicely um except that it was rotting but gangrene dude hell of a disease uh don't get it don't get it and he had already talked to like specialists he had already talked to a doctor and like not done anything about it because he was traveling around his band in his, he was following the band in his van and he didn't want to take the time off uh and then who like I can't name the band but like the most famous guitarist ever from all of the jam bands gets up and starts playing a cover of Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower and this guy I just like I could I was laughing so hard I had to go watch the band for a second and he just like completely understood as I think in that marijuana induced state anyone (laughs) it's just like he felt bad for us that was a that was a foot (laughs) um (laughs) it's actually really funny yeah the foot was coming out on his own Uh, yeah it was his second toe um what was that one like you told me this is the first time i found out like your butthole can fall out of you (laughs) can you go into detail please (laughs) Yes, fella, I can go into detail. About butthole falling out. I'm sure everybody's interested how that can happen. Or how can you prevent that from happening? Um, don't do math, kids. First day of clinicals during EMT school. I'm not even in advanced yet. First hour at the hospital. First patient ever. Nurse just shoves me in the room. You start your clinicals in a hospital because you need to be under constant supervision. And... I don't know why she picked the corner room, but she just like kind of shoved me in there and was like, go assess him. Go talk to him. Like figure out what's going on. I just got off and shift. I think she was just trying to get rid of me. And shout out to Aurora South. Uh, this man's entire butthole was falling out. This was not just a hemorrhoid situation. <laughs> there was six inches of butthole. 
like <laughs> coming out or like and that- i like lifted up the sheet to try to figure out what's wrong with him and he woke up and i saw that simultaneously as he woke up and i was terrified um smells man and the smell and the blood and it was so much blood and it was like his entire colon and his intestines were coming out and I like am talking to him trying to figure out what happened and I'm like assessing him and getting a set a fresh set of vitals and like just seeing if he needs water or like I don't really know what to do because it's my first day first hour ever and the doctor walks in and was like, oh, yeah, we're going to have to keep you here. Like, you obviously, you're going to need surgery. And the man, I shit you not, Bella, was like, well, all my stuff is outside. I can't stay in here. And we were like, what stuff? Like, if it's right outside the door, we can bring it to you. And he's like, my meth. <laughs> oh, no. And he was so gone. I felt really bad for him. But, like, he, in his his open-backed hospital gown was so mad that he had to stay inside this hospital and he couldn't be out there with his belongings that he like just got up and shuffled out open back hospital gown butthole hanging (laughs) and went out there and he was never heard from ever again and we had to just let him go and I we couldn't stop him like the doctor didn't tell me what to do and yeah that was that was the first that's, patient I ever had that's the butthole story that was the butthole story <laughs> that's the butt yeah and on this moment <laughs> and on this note um there was there was one question that I wrote down we often hear about camaraderie among first responders do you have any funny or heartwarming stories you can share from the ambulance or station I honestly don't know if it can get funnier than those two. Um, Future firefighters are not always the smartest needles in the cabinet. There was an 18-year-old boy who had just gotten his EMT um, certification to work at my company, my former company, and it was like his second day on the job. And I mean, big guy, big early future firefighters saving cats out of trees of america but nice mustache all firefighters must have mustaches this is a law i didn't make the rules and he comes in and he's holding his chest and he's like my heart really hurts and i'm like oh did you see something today that like hurt you like i'm here as an empathetic ear (laughs) and he's like no my chest really hurts and i'm like oh, okay, like, do you have asthma? Do you have a pre-existing condition? Um, Why don't you sit down? And at this point, I had already passed my advanced EMT and gotten my EKG certification. So this man just kept on, like, whining about how his heart and his chest really hurt. And he demanded that I put a full EKG on him. He had heartburn. He was 18. He (laughs) is your future firefighter. Good luck out there, Denver. Um, So all he had was heartburn, and you put on, like, the EKG, the electrical thing. Yeah, yeah. And, like, best heart rhythm I've ever seen. Like, 
No, this dude seriously thought he was having a heart attack because he had seen enough heart attacks as an EMT where he was convinced that if he has any kind of heartburn at all or chest pain, it has to be a heart attack. And he was just like the Mima that he had just driven to the hospital. And I don't know. It was just like it really struck me. I was like brain cells unite. (laughs) Brain cells unite. But but hey, you came as an empathetic ear, and turned out he didn't need your empathetic ear. He just just needs some experience. He needs some tums. And he really and, and and I was gonna say, I think he just wanted CPR from like some hot older EMT, and he wasn't gonna get it. So that's what he was going for. I think going was, for that kiss. Do yeah. you guys do you guys breathe into mouth still? Fuck no. Like I will literally just let someone die before I put my mouth on their mouth. Absolutely not. <laughs> that is so foul. There you go. From the EMT right now. <laughs> Dude. But I can't you save you if I'm dead and I think I would just puke. <laughs> like no one puking into an open mouth. It's so gross. Think about all you of guys, that. You don't do that anymore because they used to do that, right? Where yeah. you would breathe into the lungs. That's not a th- that's not a thing anymore. Literally within two years of people inventing CPR, they figured out that nobody wants to do mouth to mouth to another human. And so they invented this like little donut thing where you can breathe in and it will let the air go in. And then you can't get their air or their fluids back into you because when you're doing CPR, you're not only breaking like eight different ribs, mm-hmm. um, the pushing on that part of the body causes people to vomit. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, so please never do mouth to mouth. It's better to just do chest compressions. It's good to just keep their blood pumping until someone who has some kind of PPE gets there. Please. No, that's a good question because I was going to ask you, is there like something you wish people would know about like emergency situations or EMTs that the regular public doesn't know. Every single one of us is addicted to nicotine. And if they say they're not, they're lying. We are trying our best, guys. We generally have the best intentions for you. I know it's a really stressful situation. Don't take it out on us. Like we're really honestly there to save lives and try to be heroes. And even if not that, then practice cool medicine. Um, and we're underpaid. And we don't ever get enough sleep. And we're addicted to nicotine. Yeah. We're just struggling along with the rest of you. Be nice to your EMT. Also, what advancements in pre-hospital care are you most excited about? Okay. I know the one you're most excited about. So it's called a Lucas device. Bella's obsessed. It does CPR for you. It's like a little backpack. And you put it on someone's chest, a little suction cup, and it just pumps away. And CPR takes an enormous amount of effort. The longest I've ever been able to go is four minutes and like 15 seconds before I like physically collapsed. I couldn't do it anymore. And usually in a well-organized system, you are only doing it for two minutes at a time and you switch off with partners. But this is a machine that replaces... No, it could that. save lives because humans only have so much energy. So I think that it's, you know, really cool. Yeah. And I think it's awesome. I think it saves our backs. It saves our knees. It saves lives. The Lucas machine can do, or the Lucas device can 
do better compressions than a tired human and in a difficult rescue situation it can keep on going way longer i'm pretty enamored with it um i've never gotten to see one in action someone's the one pumping away someone's chest or bagging them but uh yeah it's um really cool and i'm really excited about where ai is gonna take ems because it's doing logistics and planning and the AI eventually is going to be able to estimate where the most car crashes or the most overdoses or the most heart attacks will be in a part of the city. And then we'll have ambulances stationed closer to that area. That's amazing. Yeah. I really hope someone does something with that soon. No, oh, that's awesome. Um, I have one more question and then we're going to do the, I have a special speed round for you, but, um, how has being an EMT changed your perspective on life and death? Because I know you witness a lot of death every day, right? Yeah, I've never been scared of death. I've never been scared of dying. Uh, I do a lot of dumb, extreme adventure sports. However, I now do fear dying alone, and I do fear dying painfully from preventable causes. So... I quit smoking, and I quit nicotine, and now I've quit drinking, and I've quit using drugs, and I think it had a positive influence in my life where I can still go do the extreme sports that I love, or just anything that I love, and not have that constantly weighing in the back of my mind, like, am I going to get lung cancer? Because I've worked with patients who have had lung cancer, and it's awful, and like holding a pair of blackened lungs in your hand doing a cadaver dissection is no fun either or like I've worked with people with liver issues or CHF and like a lot of this was preventable and so it's made me value my own life in the sense that I'm no more scared of dying than I was I just don't want to waste my life dying from like a slow burning agonizing disease yeah, I feel like it's interesting that you can see it pr- firsthand. You know, it's like people don't smoke, you're going to get cancer and all this, but seeing a pair of cancer lungs that are darkened lungs in your hand can really change your perspective. Um, with this, we're going to change topics, but with this speed round, this is, I mean, it's a little bit different. You can answer it in a few, like a few sentences or less, but th- these are common questions that I've looked up that most people have about an EMT. So we'll start with number one. If you're attending a patient who suddenly becomes violent, how do you handle that? Like, what are your steps? I have a magic gift where people just see me and they get less mad. That sounds stupid, but most people have to end up calling for backup and sedating people. And I have never met a patient that I cannot talk off of a cliff. There was no one that I can't convince to not punch me in the face. I love it because another reason mental health is so important in paramedics. Okay, next one. Have you ever made a mistake during a call or an event? <laughs> yeah. How'd you handle so it? So many. I <laughs> uh, accidentally shot 25 mics of fentanyl into the ceiling and had to explain that one to management. So somebody didn't got too much fentanyl or didn't get it? Oh, no, they didn't get it because I went over a bump. My partner grabbed the needle. <laughs> I grabbed the needle. And the needle, I don't know how it happened, but the fentanyl suddenly was in the ceiling of the ambulance. 
instead of in the patient. Amazing. So the ambulance felt really good. If you believe a patient doesn't need to be transported, but they insist, how do you handle it? Or you can do the other way around if someone doesn't want to go, but they should go. How do you handle that? Okay. If someone does want to be transported, I will never tell them no. Please pay my bills. I love it. I like rent. <laughs> um, and if someone does not want to be transported, who must be transported, like if they have a valid medical issue or they're intoxicated or they're of a certain age under 18 – with like a bunch of other legal extenuating circumstances, we can have them sign a refusal form. However, they have to be completely cognizant and of the legal age. And I would do my best to try to convince a person to go to the hospital who needs it. Um, because I think everybody who needs medical care, especially urgently, shouldn't just have to drive themselves to the hospital. It happens a lot with heart attack victims, specifically men, and stroke victims, specifically men, where their wives are like, he's having a heart attack, and he's actually having a heart attack, and we cannot convince the man to get in the ambulance. Um, and so stubborn. So stubborn. Um, you just get really persuasive, and you just tell them all of the things about what their family's about to see if they don't get in that ambulance. And it's kind of gruesome sometimes, but it saved a couple lives. So I don't have any regrets. I'm never going to like manhandle someone into an ambulance. So I just try to persuasively talk to them. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and everything. Irina, do you have any other questions for her? I do. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, what advice do you have for people who are struggling with mental health, who are struggling with alcoholism or any sort of, you know, drugs, alcohol, anything, and who are just trying to find help but just just can't? What advice do you have for them? Um, my advice to people who are struggling with their mental health is that you don't have to suffer in silence. You don't have to suffer alone. It's not just in your head. You are a valid human, and you don't need to do anything other than just exist to be able to deserve happiness and freedom and just joy. People deserve to be happy. You deserve to be happy. It doesn't matter what you've done. We can come back from that. That's between you and God or whatever. There is resources out there. I know it seems like there's few and far in between and that Especially in America, it's hard to access, but there are free resources out there if you just Google it. Um, and there are people that love you and will miss you and care about you. So you need to like think about them. Thank you for that advice. But not only for, for that, thank you for coming on the podcast and being so incredibly open and honest and vulnerable and going to places where I didn't even expect you to go but you just open up to us which to me and I'm saying to me because I know Belle I've known you for a long time and she knows your story but for me it's such an honor to sit here with you and listen to your story and I can listen to you for for more than just the time we spent together so I hope I get to be 
in your presence more because you truly are a beautiful human and I hope you stay on your journey of being sober because you have so much great things in you and the world needs all of your um all of your gifts thank you I really appreciate that I second that thank you for just coming on here and being so open and being an amazing person oh guys I love you I <laughs> I love sharing I think really there is such power in being vulnerable and just like laughing things off in the end like the story is sad and it's poignant at times but it's kind of just silly and it's me like it's just I'm happy to just it's be you. here and it's just me and talking about me and you've done so many incredible things I mean we didn't even get into half of it but just hearing your story and a lot of people that can be very destructive but you took it and like you're doing this amazing thing where you're saving people every day now so it feels like I'm a professional rave mom <laughs> and on that note Bella today was today was just amazing and thank you for bringing your amazing friend um it was an enlightenment and enrichment and so much learning and I love it Thank you. We talk to you all next time. Don't forget to follow us at Moments That Define Us and Moments That Define Us, um, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. If you know somebody that needs to be interviewed, you can email us at momentsthatdefineus@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'll follow you guys. This is great. <laughs>